When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody and welcome back once again to Dirty Sexy History. October is upon us and this week we're getting back to our Halloween series with an episode about one of the scariest things imaginable. Wallpaper? Okay, I know it doesn't sound that scary but trust me, this is a good story. So good, in fact, that I actually used the research I did for this article as the basis of my book Sleeping Evie, which is a Victorian romance novel and gothic in maybe the truest sense, taking place during the gothic revival and the arts and crafts movement. It's about opium addiction and industrial arsenic poisoning. Did I mention it's a romance with a happy ending? <laughs> I warned you guys about my inability to tell a story without a body count, and, well, here we are. Anyway, today's episode covers a lot of the real historical context for that book. You don't have to have read it for this to make sense, but I will warn you, you'll never look at green walls quite the same way again. That's right. Today, we're going to be talking about Shields Green, aka Arsenic Motherfucking Green. A quick disclaimer before we start. Several chemical dyes were developed throughout the 19th century, and Shields Green was not the only one that turned out to be toxic. In fact, a number of toxic dyes and fabric treatments are still used to this day. Shields Green is the most infamous, however, and it's also the one that I have the most information on. So, of course, that's where we're going to start. So let's get started. Now held up by many as people of taste, the Victorians were magpies, associating clutter, knickknacks, and complicated patterns with comfort and even sophistication. Minimalism was not part of the conversation, and behind the dozens of paintings, engravings, and creative taxidermy you could expect to find on the walls of the average middle-class household, the walls would be bursting with a kaleidoscope of color. For the first time, mass production allowed people on almost any income to paper and carpet their houses fairly cheaply. Cylinder printing and the development of artificial dyes meant that even the most modest of Britain's houses could at least be colorful. Elaborate patterns with multiple colors were popular, and the brighter the better. Plaids and three-dimensional floral patterns sold well, and many of the more expensive patterns were detailed with gold leaf. To the modern eye, many of these combinations would be frankly nauseating. But we're not the only people to think so. As a response to the wildly popular French Industrial Exposition of 1844, Britain held the Great Exhibition of 1851. Intended to showcase industrial design from around the world, it ran from May until October of 1851 in the Crystal Palace, a temporary structure built for the purpose in Hyde Park. The exhibition was so popular that an estimated 6 million people visited, 
or about a third of Britain's population at the time. This generated enough revenue and ticket sales to not only cover the cost of the event, but to found the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Science Museum, and the Natural History Museum, three of the most popular attractions in London to this day. Queen Victoria herself visited the Crystal Palace three times. The exhibition was a hit, but not everyone enjoyed it. William Morris attended, and he so deeply, viscerally deplored the examples of modern taste on view there that he had to leave and be sick outside. For those of you uh, not in the know, being sick in Britain, uh, it's a term for actually vomiting. It's not just that he felt like he had a stomachache. He literally went outside and he puked in the bushes. That's right. The decorative arts on show at the Great Exhibition were so horrible that William Morris vomited outside. Wow. <laughs> well, when he recovered, he got to work. Ten years later, he founded the firm of Morris, Marshall, Faulkner & Company, or later known as Morris & Company. William Morris became a leader of the arts and crafts movement, which was a response to the haphazard aesthetic resulting from mass production, cheap materials, and artificial dyes cluttering the nation's sitting rooms. As a member of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, Morris viewed the Middle Ages with a certain nostalgia, longing for a time of artistic and moral integrity. Sounds nice. But the Gothic Revival wasn't just a trend in architecture. It was a response to the evils of the Industrial Revolution, both real and imagined. The world was changing faster than ever before, and, like now, well, people wanted to hit the brakes. So what do you do when the modern world is too terrifying or offensive to handle? You disassociate. This can take all kinds of forms, but the most relevant in today's world might be all of us historical romance fans retreating into the safety of a good book that is set in a time period that feels safer or more romantic than the modern world. Or, more harmfully, this can also be seen in conservative efforts to roll back freedoms for women and LGBTQ people to, quotes, recreate a world that never truly existed. Nostalgia for a simpler time can be dangerous. That's why we're here, to set the record straight. But it's not all bad. Trying to recreate the past can be harmless, therapeutic, or educational. And, in the case of the Gothic Revival and the Arts and Crafts Movement, it can influence culture all around the world on an absolutely massive scale. Now, there were plenty of evils associated with the Industrial Revolution, many of which we're still very much experiencing today, but William Morris was particularly offended by the new trend for cheap, identical, disposable furnishings. Ikea would have been his living nightmare. Okay, I know a few of us can relate, right? One day, I swear, I'm going to find the Minotaur at the end of that maze. But, you know, that's probably a story for another day. Anyway, William Morris founded Morris & Company to produce furniture, tiles, textiles, and other household furnishings using high-quality materials and traditional methods of construction. It was all about the artisans with him. Why get a plain, cheap bookcase when you can buy one elaborately carved by a master artist? Why indeed! 
Well, although his ideals were meant to be accessible to everyone, as you can imagine, only the very wealthy were actually able to afford them. One of their most popular products that remains popular to this day, of course, was their wallpaper. Each pattern used dozens of blocks and multiple colors of dye, and one of the colors they used was Shields Green. Shields Green, also known as Arsenic Green, is a lovely, if slightly spooky, shade of green. It's like a bright, highly saturated kind of sage color with uh, hints of yellow in it. It was invented in 1775 by chemist Carl Wilhelm Scheel, and one of its main ingredients was arsenic. But at the time, arsenic was in everything. It was in makeup and medication, and as a dye, it made it into just about every household in Britain in one way or another. You know how certain colors get trendy? A few years ago, everybody was talking about millennial pink. Well, Shields Green was the millennial pink of the 19th century, except its heyday lasted more than a couple of years. It actually lasted for the better part of a century. It was used in Britain and throughout continental Europe as a dye in wallpaper, carpet, paint, clothing, children's toys, candy, cake decorations, and artificial flowers. Everybody used it to dye their stuff, including William Morris. It was said that Britain was bathed in it. It is estimated that by 1858, there were a hundred million square miles of Shields Green wallpaper in Britain alone. As early as 1839, German chemist Leopold Gmelin noted that damp rooms papered with the color produced a toxic acid within the walls, and he warned the people of Germany against using it by publishing his findings in a popular daily newspaper. Reports of illnesses and deaths in Britain supported his findings. Soon after Gmelin published his article, four children from London's Limehouse district tragically fell ill and died of respiratory troubles after their room was papered in that color green. When the paper was tested, it was found to contain three grains of arsenic per square foot, which is a lethal dose for anyone, let alone kids. In a work setting, girls employed in the construction of artificial flowers in Clarkenwell were poisoned over time by the arsenic used to dye the leaves green. In 1857, physician William Himes reported extreme nausea, cramps, and lightheadedness every evening he spent in his study after he had papered the room with Shields Green. Suspecting the wallpaper, he had it removed, and pretty quickly after, his symptoms cleared up. He concluded that, quote, a great deal of slow poisoning is going on in Britain. And he was right. Although arsenic was found in many common products, it was the wallpaper that caused many of the most serious issues. People didn't have to lick it to get sick either. Wallpaper dyed with Shields Green could poison the house's occupants slowly by releasing poison dust into the air. The dust was inhaled or even absorbed through the skin. During this time, the Lancet reported that the playroom of a three-year-old boy who had died from it was found to be covered in arsenic dust. His was not the only room full of it, though. Arsenic dust could be found lining the picture frames, shelves, knickknacks, and all of the eclectic clutter that covered other Victorians' walls and floors. 
Unfortunately, arsenic poisoning could not be prevented by a thorough dusting alone. In 1891, Italian physician Bartolomeo Gossio confirmed that damp and mold living in the wallpaper paste and the walls of the houses metabolized the arsenic to produce a poisonous gas later identified as trimethylazine. Throughout the 19th century, there were countless reports of related illnesses and deaths. People wasted away in bright green rooms, or they died suddenly when green candles were lit nearby. There were even reports of women getting sick or dying when they danced in dresses dyed with shields green as the arsenic saturated their skin. People eating it in trace amounts might not have realized why they felt sick, but they must have felt pretty sick. Arsenic could kill someone quickly, but it was more likely to kill them slowly over time. The symptoms of arsenic poisoning could easily be mistaken for those of a long illness. It began with headaches, drowsiness, and gastrointestinal problems, eventually worsening into convulsions, muscle cramps, hair loss, organ failure, coma, and eventually death. Arsenic is also a powerful carcinogen, so those not poisoned quickly could still end up developing cancer later on. The toxicity of the dye was compounded by the fact that windows were kept closed against the pollution in the air outside, keeping the occupants boxed inside walls emitting poison gas. Even William Morris, the champion of quality furnishings, used the pigment in many of his pieces produced between 1864 and 1875. It's also worth noting that Morris owned shares in Devon Great Consoles, the largest arsenic producer in the world at the time, and his profits from that made the founding of Morris & Company possible. Devon Great Consoles was his father's company, and William even directed it from time to time. Although his own workers in Devon Great Consoles were frequently ill and periodically dropped dead of lung disease, Morris dismissed the suggestion that arsenic might be the cause. The toxicity of Shields Green had been suspected since the 1830s, but Morris assumed that if the danger was real, it would have been publicly confirmed. Fortunately, the company that produced his wallpaper, Jeffries & Company, were convinced enough to change their green dye in 1875. Morris also resigned as director of Devon Great Consoles later that same year. The turning point for Shields Green came in 1879 when a foreign dignitary visiting Queen Victoria became seriously ill in a guest room papered in the color. Victoria was so horrified, she ordered all the green paper to be removed from Buckingham Palace immediately. Following the Queen's example, the public stopped buying green wallpaper or looked for brands that used arsenic-free dye. Years after it was replaced with the far less toxic zinc green, Shields Green was repurposed as an insecticide. Always a good sign. After 50 years of deaths appearing to be caused by the wallpaper, the National Health Society drew up a bill asking for a total ban on the use of arsenic in household products in the 1880s. Unfortunately, arsenic production was extremely profitable, and the bill was rejected by the physician MP who received it. Parliament dismissed it, and they did not discuss it again. 
no legislation was ever passed in Britain preventing the production of arsenic wallpaper. How's that for a scary story? All right. Well, this week, I'd like to give a shout out to Dr. John Law at Swansea University, whose class on medievalism and the Gothic revival inspired my lifelong obsession. And of course, it also informed this episode today. I very much doubt that he listens to podcasts, let alone this one. But just in case, I was the American who bartended at the strip club on Wine Street and who wrote a paper about Cardiff Castle and how the Marquis of Butte once threw a party dressed as the devil in body paint and very little else. Yeah, that was me writing about that. Of course it was. Hi! (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, so speaking of which, uh, that sounds like a great idea for an episode. We'll get there, but we have a couple of pit stops to make first. You all seem to appreciate my interview with Sarah last week. That was so much fun. So I went ahead and arranged a few more interviews with other amazing authors and historians that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. I cannot wait to share them with you. This week, of course, I also want to thank our beautiful patrons on Patreon. Melanie Baker, Michael Beckwith, Andy Christopher, Rachel Cooney, Michelle Dunbar, James Finch, Adriana Herrera, Howard David Ingham, Emma Young, Janine Meberg, Jessica Miller, Akko Spoot, and Sylvia Van Eyck. Thank you all so very much for keeping us going. You make more difference than you know. If you would like to support the show, please check us out on patreon.com slash dirty sexy history. We will be posting some new content on there this very week. Our plans for that got a bit delayed due to COVID, both having it and experiencing the restricted travel that came with it. But fortunately, me and Dr. John were able to take a field trip to beautiful Salisbury, North Carolina this week, where we got some very spooky pictures and found not one but two unexpected historical graveyards in the heart of the city. That whole story will be posted on Patreon by the end of the week, so do stop by and check it out. And while you're at it, please rate, review, and subscribe because it really helps. If you have any requests for episode topics, you can also leave them for us in a five-star review, and we'll be sure to see them there. (laughs) As always, you can find us through our website at DirtySexyHistory.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we will post the photos for this week's show. Dirty Sexy History is an independent podcast, and this episode was written, presented, and all of that by me, Jessica Kale, and it was edited by the ever-patient Dr. John Jenkins. Our sources today include Philip Ball, William Morris Made Poisonous Wallpaper in Nature, June 12, 2003, Judith Flanders, Inside the Victorian Home. Jessica Charlotte Haslam. Deadly Decor, A Short History of Arsenic Poisoning in the 19th Century. In Res Medica, The Journal of the Royal Medical Society, Volume 21, Issue 1. Andy Meharg, The Arsenic Green. Michael Patterson, Life in Victorian Britain. Liza Picard, Victorian London. See you guys next week.